with you. Today's scripture reading is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. What a joy it is to be with you all this morning. Hey, we've got something exciting uh, to announce uh, today. Uh, Today we are launching our new website. Amen? All right. So we want to encourage you to go to sojournchurch.com and to spend some time checking out the new website to see the uh, the way that it's laid out. And the main reason for this new website is that we wanted to uh, make sure we uh, reflected our reality. And that uh, we used to have a, a thing a few years ago as a church where we said, hey, we're four churches and one church. And that was just kind of confusing. So we've kind of re-envisioned uh, how to explain who we are as a church uh, by saying uh, we're four churches that make up one sojourn. And this is what we kind of call the Sojourn uh, Collective. And we're talking about our uh, Sojourn Midtown, along with the three other churches that we have in Kentuckyana. And when we say the word collective, we're saying that we are a family of interdependent churches that are working together for the sake of reaching Kentuckyana uh, region with the gospel. So what I like about this uh, new website is that we got, have an updated events page. Um, it is a very clean feel. Um, it is less information and more clear next steps, as well as this updated pictures along with the, with the link. So we pray that you will enjoy uh, the new website and spend some time on it this evening, getting, uh, uh, getting more fulfill, for, familiar with it. So I'm going to open up uh, with a word of prayer here, and then we're going to dive in. Today, we're going to continue our series, Our Sojourn. And this is the last installment of the series. Next week, we're going to start one of my favorite books in the Bible, the book of James. And we'll be in James through most of the summer. Uh, But we're going to uh, finish the series. The first week, we looked at truth. And under truth as a value, we talked about biblical faithfulness and gospel centrality or gospel centeredness. And today, we're going to look at goodness. And under goodness, two specific values, creativity and arts, um, as, as well as a relentless mission. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's blessing uh, for the preaching of the word, but also for your own hearts that he would uh, allow you to receive, receive the word. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Father, we come to you in, in need, wanting to uh, give you our hearts and set aside anything that would distract us at this time from enjoying you and your presence amongst your people but also listening to your word, your word, which is a double-edged sword, your word, which is for our encouragement, which is for our building up, which is also uh, for our convicting and our our, our maturing and growing. So Father, I pray that you allow me to preach with clarity, um, that you allow your people to hear your voice for a stranger they will not follow. I thank you for the promise that your word does not return to you void and that it accomplishes that which it sets out to accomplish. I pray, Father God, that you would speak for your servants are listening. In the matchless, wonderful, victorious name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. 
All right, so there's two extremes that unfortunately is quite common in, in Christendom. There's two extremes. The first extreme of, of types of churches is what I call a word church. And a word church is just that. It's a church that is a, a good church um, that focuses on preaching God's word and understanding God's word. And that is an important value. That's why um, that's our first value is, is, is truth. Um, but in some churches, that's where it stops. Um, uh, people gather together on a Sunday morning believing that it's more about just knowing God through his word and knowledge, and, and they kind of get stuck there. And then on the other side, we have uh, churches that some people would characterize as D churches. And D churches are churches that uh, are more focused on, uh, on, go- on being external, on being outward. Uh, on justice issues or social justice issues. And what often happens is people kind of categorize churches in one or two of these categories. And then these churches uh, often put up caricatures of, of each other. And they kind of lob verbal or attitudinal bombs at each other, right? These churches are talking to, about word churches. Like, word churches, all they care about is, is the Bible, and that leads them nowhere. They're the frozen chosen, you know. Uh, they, they don't know what it means to really be on mission for God. And then you have uh, word churches over here, and they're kind of yelling at the D churches, you know, over coffee, talking about the, you know, D churches, they've lost the gospel. They don't know the word. They, they, they really don't know what God um, is, is saying in his word. They're, they're losing the gospel. And you kind of have these two uh, dichotomies or these two things going back and forth. And it's really sad. It's really sad. And to have one without the other is to be an immature church. Um, To be simply a word church that uh, never allows the word of God to move to action, to justice, to human flourishing, um, it's not what Jesus had intended. And then for D churches, to be a D church that wants to minimize learning about God and knowing God um, and only be about, about action where a person has to really work and look to see, um, really hard to see if the people maybe who are at those churches are, are Christians is, is, is another extreme. And oftentimes those are caricatures, but sometimes those caricatures are true of churches. Well, here at Sojourn, we don't want to simply be a word church And we don't want to only be a D church. We believe that the two go together. And we see this quite clearly in Jesus' mission and in the scripture as he sends out disciples into the world. He sends them out with knowledge about who God is. And he's constantly talking about about what has been said and what has been written. But he's also engaging people in in villages by healing and and doing miracles and by, by listening and by being there for the outcasts and the marginalized. And we really see this in the early church, that the early church were, were a, a word and a, a deed people. There weren't a, a separation. The early church, the church of Acts, was a Bible-believing, doctrinally sound uh, people who cared immensely about the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalized, and those who are in need. And what we need more in Kentuckiana, what we need more throughout this world is is churches that don't put uh, these two categories against each other, but churches that live into it as the early church does. The command to do good is one of the most repeated commands in all of the New Testament. I want to argue that to be a healthy church 
is to embrace both word and deed. The early church came with both uh, powerful growth as well as a social impact um, as a result of uneducated common folk who saw a resurrected Jesus. 500 people, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says, Jesus showed himself and revealed himself to directly after his resurrection. And within three centuries, we see that 500 people grow into 30 million. We see that the Roman Empire is, is turned upside down. And this comes in the midst of great persecution in the first century. We see uh, Nero is, is forcing Christians to stop preaching publicly. And Christians are, are forced to stop preaching publicly because it is just too dangerous. We see that the church becomes an underground movement. We see that the eyes of Rome, in the eyes of Rome, that they're seen as illegal people. In fact, they were often uh, viewed as cannibals because of the way in which they took the Lord's Supper. And they uh, would say this is the body and blood of Jesus. People accuse them of cannibalism. Um, we also see people lobbing insults with them and saying that they were committing incest because they called each other brothers and sisters. And then they would marry each other. Of course, uh, speaking of brothers and sisters, they're talking about their adoption into the family of God. And the question is, how did the church grow from, from 500 or maybe even less than 500 to over 30 million in just a few centuries? And the way in which they did that is because there was a, a connection between word and deed that the early Christians weren't people who just knew the word. They were people of action. They were people who were known by their feet moving towards people who were hurting towards the poor. In fact, uh, it was a, a saying that we used to say that, that Christians alone really know how to live. And that saying, saying became popular as a result of the way that Christians moved to the front um, uh, uh, front lines of, of, of social issues. Take burying the dead, for instance. In Rome, people only got proper burials if they were wealthy and rich. Honorable burial um, often came for those who were wealthy. Well, the Christian church early on would hold funeral services that would show uh, the dignity of human life, and they would do very sweet uh, burials. Not only that, we see that uh, when plagues hit, the measles and smallpox hit uh, Rome, uh, Christians, instead of running um, like most of society did, most society, if you got smallpox or, or measles, they would leave their family to die in the streets. Historians say that Christians were the ones who would run to those who were dying of plagues and put themselves at risk in order to show the love of Christ to other people. It's also recorded that the early church had a disproportionate amount of women as a part of the church. And one of the reasons why is in first and second century Rome, once a family had a certain amount of daughters, that was actually seen as a negative thing. And what would happen is that when the second daughter would come, they would simply disregard the daughter. They would set the daughter out by riverbanks or garbage dumps because they didn't want the responsibility of taking care of them. And what happened, the early church ran to these riverbanks, they ran to these garbage dumps, and they uh, adopted these abandoned girls, and they became a part of Christian families. And so you had a disproportionate amount of Christians in the early church. In 251 AD, the Bishop of Rome, in a letter, 
wrote this to his congregation who was supporting 1,500 widows and distressed people. The Christians, he says, they run a miniature welfare state in an empire which for most part lacked social services. The early church was so committed to doing good, they willingly sacrificed their money, their their time, and their, their lives, and they did this fueled by the word of God. But they also did this because they were fueled by the grace of God. And that's the first thing we want to look at today as we talk about goodness and our call as a church to live out this value is we want to look at the the basis of good works. And the basis of good works is God's grace. In other words, as Christians, we don't do good works uh, simply for the sake of of just doing good works. That is not the, the end goal. We're not simply philanthropists who just, who, who just do good. We do good because God created all people in their image. We do good in order to cultivate and to take care of God's creation. But that, that goodness, the good works that we do is fueled not by moralism, but is fueled by God's grace. It's not fueled by us being able to pat ourselves on the back and and lay our heads on a pillow and say, I'm a good person. No, it's fueled because we know that we have been saved from death. We know that we have been freed from bondage. We know that we once were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together in Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul is writing the church of Ephesus about as he's talking about this soteriology, the way in which God has saved people. In chapter one, he's talking about the rich blessings that we have in Christ before the, before the foundations of the world that God saved the people for himself. And then we get to verse eight of chapter two. And Paul says, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift and not from works so that no one can boast. So we are not saved because of our works or because of our ability to get stuff done. We are saved by grace and grace alone. Salvation is a free gift from God, unmerited and undeserved. And if you're not a Christian here and you're just kind of eavesdropping today on our conversations to see what the church is about and what we believe, listen, here's what we believe. We believe that God has adopted us into his family, not through our works, but through the finished works of Jesus Christ, through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, who is God made man. That's what we believe. We believe that Christianity is Christianity by the basis of grace. So Paul goes on, look, In verse 10, for we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship. This word workmanship is a word that we get the word poem from. We are his poema. We are his uh, creative and artistic expression. We are his masterpiece. We are his work. And we are his work not because uh, we're we're nice people. We are his work, in the words of C.S. Lewis, because we are new people. So when we think about being a Christian, there's a a famous story called the the prodigal son. It's in Luke 15. In Luke 15, we have a picture of two brothers, two sons. One 
seems to be what most people would think a, a Christian at the end of the day is or has what it takes to be a Christian. The, the older brother in this story was responsible, obedient, dutiful. He kept rules, it appears. He was incredibly moral. And by most people's account, he was good. He was what we would think or say, this person is a, is a Christian. But underneath all of that, the story shows us that this guy, even though he was externally moral, underneath the surface, he was proud, he was arrogant, he was judgmental, and he was bitter. And the story contrasts a, a younger brother who has made a complete mess of his life, who has lived unwisely, and he returns home to be with his father, and his father runs to him. His father clothes him with a robe. His father puts a ring on his finger. His father throws a party for him. Christianity is more of a picture of this, this father who represents the heavenly father and how he saves us in spite of ourselves and he treats us better than we deserve. And he welcomes us home. And this picture of salvation is the picture that Paul has been laying out in Ephesians chapter 2. It's this rich mercy. It's this great love that God has for us. And Paul is saying, this is what motivates us to good works. This is the basis of the good that we do. This is what saves us. It's grace. Not our good works, but we were created for good works. And that's the, that's the second thing we want to look at, the nature of goodness. The nature of goodness. We see that Paul goes on after saying that we are his workmanship. He says that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Listen, God saved you not because of works. God saved you because he did a good work in your heart. But he set you aside so that you can be a part of his grand narrative. He sets you aside so that you can be a part of his good work in a fallen and broken world. We talked about that last week in Genesis chapter 3. And how as a result of the fall now, work would be done with thistles and with thorns. Childbearing would be painful. There would be trouble and, 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 and brokenness in our world. And then we looked at how Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah who is coming and who's going to do a recreation a recreation in, in a people, an ecclesia, and in in, in those who are called out of darkness into his marvelous light, and also in, in all of creation. And so God saves us to be a part of, of his kingdom, to be, to be a part of a, a countercultural movement, to be, to be a part of something that is beautiful and divine. The, we talk about good works, it's hard to define, but what are we talking about? talking about goodness being an activity in which we, we constantly choose good over evil. Goodness is a choice to pursue and to cultivate flourishing and beauty. It is a participating in God's kingdom and God's work. And as Christians, we're called to pursue that personally as well as publicly. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is going to talk about how as Christians, we're called to take off the old man and to put on the new, which is called to take off line. We're called to take off sinful anger. We're called to take off gossip. We're called to take off bitterness. We're called to take off stealing. And we're called to replace those actions in Christ as we seek to be obedient by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit with truth and love 
and dignity. We're called to fulfill the great command to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's personally, but then publicly as the church, we are called to do good works so that people would look at us, see our good works, Matthew 5, and do what? And glorify our God in heaven. This is the beauty we talked about last week, the, the beautify the name of our Father in heaven. It's the nature in which we're called to do. It's how we've been called to live. And we do this, Micah 6, 6, 8, a, a very succinct passage that shows us this, this public, this social call that we have to human flourishing. Yahweh asks Israel, what does the Lord require of you? And he answers his own question. He's like, I'm glad you asked. To act justly. I mean, it's to treat people with equity, to do what is right to all people, regardless of who they are and where they are, and to love mercy, to be merciful to people, to treat people who maybe deserve a, a way of life mercifully, as God has been merciful with us, and to walk humbly with your God, to not be arrogant. Justice is one of God's most basic calls for Christians to do. And Jesus, we see, he indicts the Pharisees in Matthew 25 for being a people who were all concerned about this kind of external legalistic uh, presentation while inwardly they were, he called them dead man's uh, uh, bones. He said to them, listen, you tithe everything. Listen, you keep this portion of the law. You give freely, he says, but what do you do? You neglect the weightier matters of the law. In fact, you neglect goodness. We want to be a church that's constantly asking ourselves, where are the people in our neighborhood and our communities that's hurt? Where are the the people in our job that is hurt? Where are the forgotten, the oppressed, and the, the marginalized? We want to constantly ask the Lord to open our eyes and to see and to run to those places on mission because we know that God created each person in his image and that God is about the good work of cultivating beauty and caring for people and being merciful. And then third, we see the practice of goodness. We see the practice of goodness. So we see the basis is grace. We see the the nature, it's us, fueled by God's grace, going out for the good of others, looking for areas in our neighborhoods, in our society where evil is reigning and people are oppressed and speaking into those truths with the gospel and doing what we can to leverage what God has given us to remove those things. But we want to see the practice of goodness. This is, listen, this, ha- this is absolutely amazing what Paul is going to say here. Let's read it slowly, okay? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are his workmanship, his poem, uh, his creative expression. It's what we, we are what he created. He created that, that new creation by grace. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were saved for good works. You weren't saved just to be a word church. You weren't saved just to read the Bible and to huddle in holy, huddle, holy huddles. We were saved to do good deeds. And Why? It's because God has prepared something for us. And he specifically prepared something for each and every one of us who has been saved by grace. 
It's amazing to think about that sometimes in eternity's past that God prepared situations and circumstances and opportunities for you to do good. God rescued you because he has some unique things for you to do. God has shaped you and and given you uh, the gender of, of male or female. God has shaped you and given you your, your, your ethnicity. God has shaped you and given you your story, good and bad. God has shaped you and given you your educational experiences, whether you like it or not. God has shaped you and put you into the family and the family order that you are in. God has shaped you and put you around in the job that you're in, in the season that you're in, and he has uniquely done these things so that you and only you can do things that he ordained for you to do before the foundation of the world. It's crazy. God has a particular, specific assignment for you that only you can do. Pastor Jamal, you don't know my story. I'm, I'm pretty... I'm pretty jacked, man, I'm jacked up. If you knew like what I was made of, you knew what I thought, if you knew my struggles, God uses the sum of who we are. He weaves those things together and he presents you to the people around you and all that you are as a gift of grace to fulfill a good work for his glory. And in that, we are messy people. We make mistakes, we, we sin, we do it imperfect, uh, with imperfections, but we do it per- pushing towards Christ, setting our eyes on him, the perfecter and the maker of our faith. So I want to talk real quick about how this plays out in the life of our church, all right? When we talk about goodness, there's two particular uh, values that we want to focus on. So inside your bulletin, you guys have this little, this little card. And this card uh, shows the value. We have six particular values here at Midtown. Uh, biblical faithfulness, we talked about gospel centrality. Next to that is a tagline. It's these one kind of sentence sayings or things that we want you to know. When we talk about biblical faithfulness, if we were to sum it up in a creative way for you to remember, this is what we're talking about. And then we have a Bible reference, so you can go look at the Bible, meditate on it. And then we have examples within Sojourn. Now, these are current examples, and this is not an exhaustive list, but this week as a team, we thought, you know, we want to we help you to identify how these values play out in the life of our church, okay? And so we want you to be able to think through these values, say, and, and be able to have eyes to see. It's like, oh, that's how this plays out. Oh, that's how this looks at Sojourn right? And in the fall, in the upcoming months, we're going to come together and we're going to preach more, vi- more vision. Like this is values, this is what we currently do, but this is what we want to do in the future. So you want to hold on tight to this. But the last two values that we're talking about today is creativity and the arts and relentless mission. And I just want to dive into this really quick. But as I dive into this, I don't want you to check out, especially if you're not in your own mind, a creative person. Because when we talk about creativity in the arts, when we talk about being fruitful and cultivating beauty in all things, we're not merely talking about artists and musicians, though that is a part of it. Every single person in here, you are God's workmanship, 
You are God's creative expression. You are who God has saved, and you are creative. You are creative. If you're an accountant, wrangling a year's worth of data into an organized spreadsheet is creative. If you are a teacher figuring out how to walk with each student individually so that they can understand the principles that you are teaching, that's creativity. If you're a parent finding ways to love and nurture your child based upon how God has made them and shaped them, that's creative. If you're a college student trying to figure out how in the heck to pass trigonometry so that you can move on and graduate, that's creative. (laughs) We're all creative. We're all creative because we're created in the image of God and God is creative. Isn't he creative? Like God is dope. God is so creative. Like he speaks the world into existence. He has the earth spinning on an invisible axis. Is anyone dizzy because it's like moving and rotating right now? No. Humankind, we fall, we rebel, we sin against him and he comes up with the most creative plan to redeem us. He becomes a man. He lives a a sinful life. He walks the dusty streets of of Galilee and Jerusalem and does only good. And yet he willingly chooses to die the death that we deserve, though he commits no sins. And then he lets Satan think that he is defeated. Have you heard about the conversation that death and Satan had? First day that Jesus died. Can you imagine death and Satan talking? Satan comes up to death and says, death, have, do you have Jesus? Death says, yes, I've got Jesus and I've got everybody else who's ever died. I've got Ezekiel, I've got Jeremiah, I've got Zechariah. Could you imagine on Saturday, Satan comes back to death and says, death, do you still have, have Jesus? Death says, yeah, I got, I got Jesus. What, what you tripping for? Like anybody you've ever really given me, I've had. I mean, there's been a few slips up, slip ups like Lazarus, but most people I had. And then on the third day, I can imagine Satan running to death and saying, Death, do you still have Jesus? And Death saying, uh, Satan, sit down. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened. Early on Sunday morning, there was a shaking and a rumbling and a quaking. Satan didn't know what hit him. Jesus said, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your... That's creativity. And God has created you to be creative. And it may not be in music and the arts, but it's to make beautiful things. It's to bring order out of disorder. It's to use those 40, those 20 hours of week that you have at work. And rather than going in and to point out problems, you go in to be a contributor. You go in with the love of Christ and you say, Lord, my work is hard. It feels meaningless. And you hear him whisper to you and say, you are my workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. I have placed you here in this season and in this time to be a light and I can empower you to do so. Go and cultivate beauty. But also, this does live out in our church through literal arts and literal music. Sojourn started really as a mission to people in the creative side of town in in the highlands and started up wanting to show the beauty of God through art. And we want to continue to press into that mission. Um, That's why we have two people on on staff, Michael Winters, who's been here for a very long time. Let's give it up for Michael. (laughs) Michael is a tall, handsome guy, if you've never seen him. Um, 
who is, is, is humble and, and, and quiet, but um, super creative. He, is, he and Jordan is behind uh, what you see in his sanctuary, the beautification of sanctuary, also um, our, our art area. And he's constantly putting up art and putting up pieces to make us think about God, how to love him, head, heart, and soul, and how to love our neighbor as ourselves. And they do a fabulous job. This is also seen in our music. Um, we want to be a church that um, is creative in the way that we sing and proclaim the gospel. We want to be a, a church that has a diverse a music band that can move in and out of genres so that this is a place where everyone feels welcome and everyone feels home. And I think uh, Johnny and Rachel and our music team does a phenomenal job of doing that. But where do you see thistles and thorns in our church? And where has God called you to, to patiently and humbly help cultivate? Because you all are a part of this body, and we want you to do that. Second, we want to say relentless mission. God has called us to be relentless in mission. Look, look at this, uh, this tag, sending and sacrificing for our neighborhoods and the nations. This is what God has called us to do, to reach the nations with the gospel, to preach, to build up the church, to send people out into the world. And we have been committed to that from day one. And as a church, we are committed to that now um, more than ever. God has placed us, each of us in this room, he has placed us and grounded us in a specific locality and place for this time and season. He has placed you next to the neighbors that he has placed you in a community that he's placed you. He has given you the community group that you have so that you can be a light just like in the hood growing up, we had uh, drug houses. God is calling us sojourn to have hope houses, to have places in which we come together weekly and we love our neighborhoods and we engage the people that is around us. That's what God has called you to be a part of. And he's called you to be relentlessly a part of that. Here at Shelby Park, we want to be a church where people don't just drive in and drive out. We don't want to build a church on top of a community. We want to be a church in the community. And there's multiple ways that we do this, by walking in a community, by praying, by putting on fall festivals, by uh, 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 engaging as community groups with our neighbors. But um, one way that we uh, really want to push forward and so that you guys can know is the Summer Academy that's coming up. I think that this is one of the most important endeavors that we do. We have people that's meeting with uh, 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 kids from this community uh, sometimes twice a week here at the church and helping them by tutoring them. But the Summer Academy is a, is a way to come alongside them. We want to identify 30 students, um, 15 from within our church, 15 from the community. And this summer, give them an incredible, I believe, two-week experience of education and well, as well as exploration, where they can see people from different fields of life and have a vision for work and for entrepreneurship in the future. And so in your bulletin yes, last week, you received something about that. Uh, we want you to give and give freely. We want you to give names of students who you think will be good for that, but we're also looking for scholarship opportunities. And lastly, international missions. Um, not only are we local, but we're global. Here at Midtown, we have 27 families that report to us and that look to us for encouragement and resources. 27 families that nationwide. Sojourn as a whole, I believe we have over 50 families, and we're sending another group of families out here soon. And within our uh, denomination or convention, by God's grace, we are uh, the second sending church in the nation. 
And that is a result of you all sacrificing, storing your money in your resources. When you give, 10% of what you give is going to support missions. And I want to encourage you to continue to do that and to pray for your missionaries. But we didn't simply put mission as a value. Notice what we put. We put relentless mission as a value. And the reason we put relentless mission as a value is because anytime we have a mission, we are going to have opposition. And that's why Paul, when he talks about uh, our salvation in Ephesians chapter uh, 2, 1 through 10, then he goes and talks about our unity in a body and why it's important that we see ourselves as one new man, not Jew and Gentile, but one who's been saved under Christ Jesus and reconciled together by his blood. And then as he continues throughout the book, we see in Ephesians chapter 6, how does he close the book off? He closed the book off by imploring the church at Ephesus to guard, to put on the whole armor of Christ. Why? He says, because if you're going to live out the things that I've told you in this book, if you're going to be faithful to the gospel, you better believe, you better believe you have a real enemy that is coming for you. You better believe that Satan is not going to allow you to just walk into a neighborhood, to just walk into your place of work and to snatch people from his kingdom. And as a church, the last few years, we've been under some, some, some pressure. And Satan has been trying to apply that pressure to us, wave after wave in different forms of loss. And we're saying, as pastors, these are the values that we're committing to. These are the values that we want to keep before you. These are the values that we want you to own so that we can continue to be relentless in mission and not lose hope and not lose focus. We want to set up a rescue mission, as one theologian says, just a yard away from the gates of hell. When Satan slaps us, we want to turn, look at him, and slap him back. When Satan tries to tell us to give up and to close the doors, we want to press in even more and say, no, we are the church, and we're going to be the church. When Satan tries to bring division, we're going to do the hard work of looking each other in the eye and speaking the truth and love and telling our perspective and forgiving and moving on. It's too much at stake and God has been too good to us to give up. So listen, my charge to you, Sojourn, is to own these values, is to memorize them, is to apply them to your own life. Make sure you, as a member, are biblically faithful. Make sure you know the gospel and that it's at the center of your life, that it's not compartmentalized. Make sure you understand that the gospel, as it has been said, is not the ABCs of Christianity, but it's the A through Zs. Don't get bored with the gospel. You get bored with the gospel, you are going off road. It's not the, the jumping board. It is the swimming pool of all that we do. We believe in transformative relationships. We're not a, a commuter church where you just live your individual life, come and get a good word and live separate from everyone. No, we're transformative relationships. We're diverse fellowship. Every person that matters to God matters to us. We believe in beautifying all things, creativity and arts and, and relentless in mission. So we want you to take these, to know these, to be good stewards of the money that God has given you so that we can minister uh, to our neighborhoods and our nations, not from a place of lack, but from a place of abundance. And every Sunday when we gather together here at Sojourn, we take a meal together.
called communion. And this meal reminds us of our union with Christ. It reminds us of this gospel that we have received. But listen, it reminds us that Jesus, who is the, the word of God, also did the good work and a powerful deed by dying in our place and being raised on the third day. And so on the night that he was betrayed, that he gave us the sacrament and he told us to, that as often as we do this, we do this to remember him, to remember his sacrifice. The night when he was betrayed, he took bread, he blessed it and gave thanks. He said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup and he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for you. Christian, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you preach the Lord's death until he returns. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And as we take this bread in, as we drink this wine or juice, we are reminded that of how good the Lord is. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We're reminded by his love. We're reminded that there is no condemnation. We're reminded that though we are messy, we're still called to press into mission. We're reminded that in our weakness, he is made strong and that his grace is sufficient. We're reminded to pursue him in faith and obedience. So as you take this meal, may you slow down May you remember how Christ has saved you. May you commit to your local church. As we talk about values, as we talk about mission, as we talk about communion, it's so easy for us to just kind of poke at things that humans are are building, though spirit-led. And we're calling you to take this communion, not looking to poke, not looking to, to be critical for the sake of being critical, but to participate to see yourself as a gift to the body and to give. Let's pray.